0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a favorite Bible passage for many people is the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who climbed into a sycamore tree in order to get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. The reason he went into the sycamore tree is because he was a shorty. He couldn't look over the shoulders or heads of anyone else in the crowd. In the crowd. It was amazing, but Jesus stopped. He looked at Zacchaeus, said, come down. I'm going to go to your house and eat a meal at your place. It's a cute story. Never in his wildest dreams did Zacchaeus think that the great man would come to his place. It's more than a cute story. It is a story of a profound theological message that has an implication not just for Zacchaeus, All of us. We read that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. In fact, it says he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, do you know how uh, a a chief tax collector would become rich? Well, tax collectors were appointed by Rome to collect local taxes, and they were allowed to have a little bit of a surcharge so that they would make an income and pay for their expenses. But we know from history that tax collectors, by and large, took way, way more than they should have. The stories are legend of people whose lives were destroyed. They lost their farms. They lost their homes. They lost their businesses because tax collectors ripped them off. The tax collector was a thief. He was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. A non-Christian by the name of Lucian put tax collectors in the same category as adulterers, pimps, yes-men, and informers. The Jews typically excommunicated Jewish tax collectors. So we can conclude about Zacchaeus is that he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel, a Jew, and probably excommunicated from the church at that time. But because of the arrival of Jesus Christ and his ministry, the preaching, the whole land was hearing about it, Zacchaeus started to feel acutely, very deeply, how rotten his life was. In fact, there were a lot of tax collectors already going to John the Baptist. We read that in Luke 3, for for instance. And they they said to, to John, teacher, what shall we do? They were sick of their life. They didn't want to rip people off anymore. They didn't want to blaspheme their God. They wanted change. And John the Baptist said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Of course, John also made clear the only way that this can happen in your life is, is through Jesus Christ who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The passage that we read, that's exactly what Jesus did to Zacchaeus. He baptized him with the spirit and fire. Now, we don't read that in so many words, but you can figure it out from the results, from the dramatic change in Zacchaeus' life. He says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So, half of everything that he has is going to the poor. Amazing. And when he says, If I have defrauded anyone, he's not saying, I'm not sure if I did or I didn't. Of course I did. But anyone I defrauded, all the people I defrauded, I'm going to give back to them fourfold. Absolutely amazing. And Jesus replies, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to Zacchaeus. He came to seek and to save the lost and to absolutely transform this man's life. From a dirty, rotten scoundrel to a man who loved his God and would do anything to improve the life of his neighbor. We're going to look at that this afternoon, brothers and sisters, not just the experience of Zacchaeus, but each and every one of us. That when Jesus Christ comes into our life, and he seeks, and he saves the lost, it brings about a radical transformation. It's radical, it's amazing, it's also really beautiful. To summarize our, our sermon in this way, Jesus Christ changes our whole way of living we'll see why such a change is necessary right now and how such a change affects our eternal life. Now, you, of course, notice the the heading over this Lord's Day. I I pointed it out. The third part, our thankfulness. That connects us back to Lord's Day 1, where it says what three things are necessary for us to, to live in this comfort, the comfort of belonging to Jesus being an heir of life everlasting. Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am to be delivered from my sin and misery. And third, how I am to be thankful to God for this deliverance. We are now in the third part. Like Zacchaeus, we have met Jesus. We, the sinner, have met him who washes us in his blood and causes us to be born again by his Holy Spirit, so that now our lives may be lives of thankfulness and praise to the glory of our God. Now, the first question of our Lord's Day speaks about the need to do good works. The second question goes on to say, and if you don't do those good works, that we would describe as an ungrateful and impenitent walk of life. So whether or not you do good works... There's a huge difference what kind of person you are. Now, is good works a, a biblical teaching and concept? The reason I ask that is because, you know, there, sometimes when you hear that word good works, you, you think in terms of, these are the good things I do to make God happy and even to earn a part of my salvation. That's unbiblical, Paul condemns it in Galatians 5, which we read together. Also, the opening question and answer of our Lord's day is careful and it, it is meticulous. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? We are saved by grace alone in Jesus Christ alone. The ability to do good works is Jesus Christ working in us. But there is a place for good works. They're, they're done out of faith. They are done in gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done in our life. Basically, it's, it's keeping the commandments. Or in a nutshell, it means that everything that we think, say, or do loves our God and, and loves our neighbor. We can think of what James writes about this. He goes so far as to say in James 2, verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So a Christian is not just somebody who says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but it's it's someone who shows that he is in Christ, and Christ is in, in, in him, so that what comes out of our life is truly To the praise and the glory of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ loved to describe this in terms of fruit. He said in Matthew 7 verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy living Christian. Like a good healthy tree bears fruit. And that's a life. That's to the praise and the glory of God. So if you truly have faith, if you truly are born again, and you truly are thankful, it's going to show in the way you live. Now, our Heidelberg Catechism shows that there's a threefold reason for doing good works. First, because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit to be His image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for His benefits, and he may be praised by us. This is a a beautiful description of what the life of a Christian looks like. I love how the Heidelberg Catechism uses the word image. Christ also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. Now, to be the image of Christ is to be the image of God. Paul writes in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if I'm the image of Christ, then I am also the image of the invisible God. That brings us right back to Genesis 1, where we read that God created us in his own image. Do you know what that means, to be the image of God? Boys and girls, you know what it is to be the image of God? We've got a beautiful description in Lord's Day 3, where we read God created us good and in his image and righteousness and holiness, that we might rightly know God, our creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal life to his praise and glory. To be God's image is to be part of his family. It's to have a relationship with him, like Adam and Eve had in paradise. Remember, they would walk every day with God in the garden. God loved it. I mean, if he didn't love it, he wouldn't do it, right? God loved walking with Adam and Eve. They were his children. They were his friends. They praised him. They glorified him. That's being the image of God. Now, we know that the fall into sin destroyed all of that. With the fall into sin, instead of being God's image, we became inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. Instead of walking with God, Adam and Eve hid from God. God, in his amazing grace, sent his own son into this world to rescue us, to save us, and to restore us as his image. Our Lord's Day says that Jesus actually does two things. First, he redeems us by his blood. That happened on the cross, where he died, he shed his blood, So that whoever holds on to Jesus Christ will receive the forgiveness of sins. Those sins are washed away. They're cast into the depths of the sea. And then God looks at us. Get this. As if we had never sinned and we ourselves had fulfilled all the obedience of the law. We're in a perfect righteous state with God again in the blood of Jesus Christ. But the second thing is, he also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. And that is being born again. Or what the next Lord's Day describes as dying to the old nature and coming to life in the new nature. Brothers and sisters, this being born again is so radical and so powerful it makes tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions pale in comparison. You remember that a huge tsunami back in 2004 at Indian Ocean? Nothing compared to you and I being born again. The Canons of the Door, chapter 4, verse 12, says it is a supernatural work. Not inferior in power to creation or the raising of the dead. Being born again is just as supernatural, powerful work as raising someone from the dead or God creating this world simply by speaking. When we are born again, we actually die. Not physically, but even even more terrifically, we die emotionally and spiritually spiritually. Paul writes about that in Romans 6, and again, Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To be born again means to be united with Jesus on the cross, to die with him. And leave our old sinful nature buried there in the grave, in the tomb, and to rise to be an entirely new person who's governed by the Spirit and able to live to the praise and glory of God. We saw that with Zacchaeus. You know, how, how Jesus Christ so radically transformed his life. You know, not, not to say it again because I like saying it, but he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He destroyed people's lives. How oh, he loved his neighbor. And he loved his God and showed that in a meaningful way. And in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see that so often. You know, he met with tax collectors and prostitutes and adulterers and and robbers and, and all sorts of people. And he transformed their lives. Some became his direct disciples or certainly that broader group of disciples. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was that criminal... Who knows what that guy had done. It was bad enough they were crucifying him. And at first he mocked Jesus. But Jesus touched his mind. His heart and his soul. That day he came to faith. knew what it was to be washed in the blood of Jesus. And born again. And Jesus says you know today. The two of us are going to be in paradise. I remember Saul on the road to Damascus. Breathing threats against the Christian church. Jesus stopped him. He was born again. And the world's greatest monster became the world's greatest missionary. When Jesus Christ comes into our life as Lord and Savior with his blood and spirit, we are born again. We are radically changed so that our way of thinking and speaking and acting shows love for God and our neighbor. Paul describes that in Galatians 5, where he talks about walking with the Holy Spirit, and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It says it means that you start to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The old ways are crucified. This is the new way of, of being a Christian, of believing in Jesus Christ. You know that we sang Psalm 116 together. We sang, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call in the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The psalmist said, look what God has done for me. What can I render to him? but a heart that thanks him, that praises him, and serves him with my entire being. You know what we're talking about here, brothers and sisters, don't don't we? Like, this is a description of us, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A description of who I am. Right? Or is it? Do you find that we're not always that kind and gentle and self controlled with people in our lives, maybe our own spouse or our children, our parents, or other members of of the church? Are we holding grudges, looking down on certain people because of their opinions or whatever? Are we harboring lustful, sexual thoughts in our heart and our mind? We say to ourselves, we got to change. I'm not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, or certainly not as much as I, I think that Scripture is, is expecting of me. God is expecting. i got to work harder. Good luck with that. It's not going to work. You, you can't work harder. You can't make this better. What we need is Jesus Christ. And that's where Bible reading and prayer and meditation is so sweet and so beautiful and so powerful. Because we get to know Jesus. Not just as some person out there, but as my Savior. I know what his blood does to me. I know how his Holy Spirit has come into me. What a joy, what a privilege to be free from my former sins. And the more conscious we are of that, the more aware we are of that, the more naturally, sweetly, gently, but powerfully we want to give our life to the praise and the glory of God. It's Jesus and he alone in our life that changes everything. Now notice that our Lord's Day adds a second reason for doing good works, Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits. One of the footnotes we've already quoted, Matthew 7, verse 17, where Jesus said, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. There's something so beautiful and comforting about what our catechism is pointing out here. It's nothing like knowing for sure. You're a Christian. Assured that that Jesus is, is your Savior. Because there are things in our life that can, can make us doubt that. You know, maybe the, the sins that we are committing, the fact that we don't pray as much as we should, we're not reading our Bible all that much. How how do I know that I really belong to God? And I'm walking in the way of life everlasting. Well, this is something that, that you learn very gently and very contemplatively. That means just thinking about it. I mean, did you ever hear a sermon that stabs your conscience? Convicting you of a sin? Or a Bible? Even prayer at night. You're praying at night and, and you realize, you know, how far, how far you have fallen short. And, and you call to God and, and you pray to him. You know, we have our struggles. You know, throughout my ministry, for instance, uh, so many young men have, have told me that they struggle with lustful thoughts and how they wish they were free from that. But when you see in your life a growth, where more and more you get irritated with your sinful thoughts and behavior and that you actually are sick of it, and you're moving away from it, you know right there and then it is the Holy Spirit working in you. Seeing, you know, increasing disgust for your sin. Uh, Seeing that you're you're starting to break free from it. That you're actually walking in the ways of God is a a gentle, sweet assurance that that with all our weaknesses and shortcomings, we are a child of God. The Holy Spirit is working in us. Also, our our children and our our young people can see that, you know, we always talk about the dangers of of bullying and, and leaving other children and young people out. But if a child or a young person observes in their life, you know, disgust with the hurt that is being done to a particular boy or girl, and a real longing to reach out to that person, to show kindness, to show a goodness and a patience. That becomes an assurance for our children that the Holy Spirit is working in them. They are a child of God. This is a beautiful assurance that a life of good works will give us. Now, the third reason for doing good works, as our Lord's Day points out, is that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbor for Christ godly walk of life, you could call that lifestyle evangelism. Now, we evangelize by speaking to people, but we can also evangelize through the way that we live and the example that we set. In fact, if you don't have lifestyle evangelism, but just you talk the talk, it's, it's useless. I mean, you talk to your neighbor that you are a Christian, but your neighbor recognizes that you are not very kind and you take advantage of that person, and you're, you're hurtful, then your walk of life is not evangelism. It doesn't show being born again, but it is a way of turning your neighbor away from Christ. But imagine what a true Christian lifestyle does for our neighbor. Let's say you got a, a wonderful marriage, a good marriage, and, and, and a good family. Our neighbors see that in a in a world of so many broken families and marriages, it's a powerful witness to our neighbor that being a Christian, being a child of God, has brought you into this beautiful marriage and family. Also true for our business dealings. If in our business dealings we're honest, we're fair, we're hardworking. We're actually thinking of the advantage of the other person, whether it's a customer or another business person, again, a powerful testimony to the Holy Spirit working in us. Even the way that we think and talk about current affairs and the government, it's unbelievable how in Canada the the vile words and, and attacks are cast against our government. And that's not to say we have to agree with our governments. Uh, we may be very disappointed in them. But we have to speak about them respectfully. As men and women who have their office from God. Their authority from God. And are answerable to him. So even our neighbors seeing how we, you know, may, maybe we disagree strongly with our government. But we still have respect. We still speak of them in, in high esteem. What a testimony that is in in a country that has been filled with every vile way of talking about people in authority. Brothers and sisters, it is in this way, seeing how God changes and transforms our lives, that we grow in this desire to thank our God, gaining that assurance that we are the children of God and being a powerful testimony to our neighbor. When Paul says, you know, keep in step with the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, he is showing us a a whole new beautiful and powerful way of living. And that brings us to some concluding remarks about this new birth in Jesus Christ. It changes our life now, but it also has implications for eternity. We're dealing with question answer 87, which asks, can those be saved? Who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life. In other words, if a a person is not born again. And a person is not showing in his lifestyle. That he's walking with the spirit of Jesus Christ. Living to the praise and the glory of God. Then that person is not saved. Is not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And will never see the new Jerusalem. Take Zacchaeus as an example. Suppose after Jesus left him. He's bragging about. I've, I've seen the big man. You know he came to my house. But Zacchaeus then. Did not show mercy to the poor. Didn't pay off the people he had ripped off. And he continued his thieving ways. He would not be saved. He would show. That he's not saved. And that he's not a child of God. Without real observable change in our life. You are not living the eternal life. Our Lord's Day states. Scripture says that no unchaste person. Idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person. Drunkard, slanderer, robber or the like. Shall inherit the kingdom of God. You can check the footnotes. And all four scripture passages say that. We also read that in Galatians 5. But look at these words. Sexually immoral. Greedy. Drunkards. Slanders. In, in other words, we're not just talking about serial killers. Or, or rapists and child molesters. We're talking about the kind of people that you can find in the church itself. And hearing that can be terrifying. Who of us is pure? Who is perfect? Did you gossip this week? Did you? Did you have lustful thoughts when that beautiful person walked by? Did you hold grudges? Did you condescend and look down on the person who has a different uh, point of view than you do? Brothers and sisters, we're all sinners. And in fact, John says in 1 John 3 that if we don't love our brother, we are a murderer. And he says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You know, when you listen to this, you come to the conclusion there's going to be a lot of empty real estate in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, nobody's going to be there. we are all sinners. We all do the very things, the kind of things that our, our Lord's Day is is warning against. And it seems like there's no way out of this. But let's keep keep it in perspective. And one thing that might help is that next Sunday morning, you're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper form, it says that anyone who is guilty of offensive sins against the Ten Commandments should abstain from the table of the Lord, and we declare to them that they have no part in Christ. But then the form continues and says, this is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. And it adds, we also are aware of our many sins and shortcomings, yet by the grace of the Holy Spirit, We are heartily sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. We may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. You see what this is saying, and it's following the epistle of John. John says in chapter 1, we're all sinners. Then he says in chapter 3, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Keeps on sinning. When we're born again by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the simple fact is, brothers and sisters, we will still sin. That old sinful nature, it's it's not completely gone. Even the temptation of Satan and the world and our own sinful flesh don't cease to haunt us. We stumble, we fall, and we'll continue to do that until our Lord Jesus Christ returns in the clouds of heaven. But what our Lord's Day is saying, what Scripture is saying, is when you know that and you weep, Jesus Christ will wash you in his blood again and make you clean. And he will continue to renew you by his Holy Spirit to fight against that sin that more and more you hated and flee from it. Will you fall? Yes. But you'll also rise and give your life and surrender it to God. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 makes clear that the life of a Christian is a a life that can grow and and improve. We, We can change. He says there, we all with unveiled face Behold, the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we are washed with his blood and spirit, we actually see in our lives this this growth. That that sins, that temptations that once dragged us down. We rise and say, no. No hate that. I want nothing to do with that. And we, we, we go from one degree of glory to the next as we more and more give our lives to the, to the praise and the glory of God. And So you see, brothers and sisters, the takeaway from, from all of this is not that we say, I got to try, try harder to be a born again Christian. Trying is good. But what we need is Jesus. What we need is a, a life of rich with Bible reading, with meditation and and prayer, the more we come to to know the Lord Jesus, to to love him, to know what he's done, is to experience his blood, experience his spirit, and overcome sin. And you know what the, the hallelujah thing in all of this is? A life of sin is temporary. Soon there will be no more sin. There will be no more temptation. When our Lord Jesus Christ returns on the clouds of heaven, we will be totally born again, renewed by his Holy Spirit, so that everything we do is to the praise and the glory of God. And we will perfectly be his image, an image of righteousness and holiness, that we know God, that we love him, and live with him eternally to his praise and to his glory. Amen.